of Avatar The Last Korra. Time skip. We're doing a time skip. Uh, yep. Uh, it's it's the new season of the, the Legend of Korra. It's book four, episode one, after all these years. David, I've I first of all, a terrible title. Um <laughs> Second of all, I've realized well, it is after all these three years. Uh, when when we say Avatar: The Last Korra, now we're we're being very truthful, and we're in the final stretch of Korra. We're in the last of Korra. We're we're almost done. Wow, that was <laughs> that's an observation. It, it was. Yeah. And I guess you <laughs> didn't amuse you in the same way it amused me, but that's fine. We can just dive right in. Um, Asami says this title in the episode and uh, is a train magnet now and does infrastructure right. between and Republic Korra's City. And has got a park named after her in yeah. Republic City. And, For uh, no reason, really. Republic City's been... Yeah, and, and the city's been updated. It's got spirit wilds that have been integrated, and that's part of the propaganda is look how integrated we are. We can See, coexist with it, our spirit friends. <laughs> it's interesting that you're like... The see, I I saw it more as like a tourist reel, but I guess that's the same thing as propaganda, depending on no, the yeah. light you're putting it in. Um, no, but yeah, it is a tourist reel. You're I, right. I I don't hate that as a way of exposition. You know, like there are certainly worse. No, ways I don't hate that it's a way of exposition, it. but it seems sort of forgiving of the fact that like you know this town, this city was very resistant to the you know the spirits moving in. Right, and, and it's just I don't know if it's supposed to be stream. obvious to us. Yeah, I don't know if it's supposed to be obvious how the resolving off screen is misleading. Like, it's not actually as resolved as it seems. I mean, if you say so, I literally do not remember. So I am buying yeah. it. <laughs> um, well, yeah, we find a out. Weird, there's a weird episode in the middle of the season, that, but we'll, we'll get to it. Okay. Um, we find out. The, the main. No, go ahead. The main, like, conflict driver of the first part of this season is this new character, very new and original character, <laughs> Prince Wu, who is just, is just Cusco from The Emperor's New Groove. It, that's all he is. I think you're totally right, and Other people man. have pointed this out. Other people have pointed this out. It's not an original observation, but it just is so blatantly obvious. He's a spoiled ruler who hasn't taken the throne yet but just thinks he's hot shit and doesn't care about anyone else's feelings yeah um, he's Cusco he's Cusco uh, but why is Mako his bodyguard David I don't know Mako is a detective for the United or for the Republic City he's not even like an FBI type yeah he works for the Republic City police uh and so now he's a bodyguard to a foreign royal permanently? I the, don't his know. His citizenship is going to change? I Insane. don't know. Insane. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's like very strange and like sort of Lynn makes the comment to Mako. It's like, oh, you're just a pawn in his political game now. And I'm kind of like, damn, you know who had like a solution for some of this? Fucking Zaheer. <laughs> like. Yeah, like, just kill him. Just kill him, um, man. All right, so then also we learn that there's a lot of roving bandits. And what that means is that there is, exists crime. <laughs> crime is a thing that exists. Yeah, well, like basically which, we, what we find out is that the Earth Kingdom has fallen apart since the Earth Queen's assassination. 
Um, and, you know, they, people have been trying to restore order. Uh, and apparently the person who's been most successful at it is Kuvira. Um, but there's another contingent who's like, Kuvira blows, bring back the Earth King. But then some people are like, the Earth King blows, long live Kuvira. So that's our conflict, you know, like that's, that's what's going on. Um, And Kuvira, more than anyone else in Avatar, is supposed to be an explicit parallel to, you know, fascism. Right. Whether it's a a fascism of sort of a a Maoist bent or more of a Hitler-style fascism, this character is fascist. Right. All of her minions wear stormtrooper outfits. (laughs) You know, she rides trains around capturing new territory and annexing Poland and, you know, doing all <laughs> right. the bad stuff. And basically blackmailing people into joining her coalition. You know, like, it, it literally becomes right. join or die. Like, she, she captures some bandits uh, who are trying to attack the train, and she, like, metal bends them to the train tracks and is like, you can join me and have a new life, or you can die here when the next train comes, which, like, right. is not a choice. <laughs> And who else is on the train? We got a whole bunch of people on that train. We got Bo Lin. We got Varric and Julie. We've got Suyin's son and Opal's brother, whose name I don't remember and didn't Batar write down. Batar Jr.? I think it's Batar Jr. Yeah. Uh, and he's, like, engaged to Kuvira now, we find out. Um, yeah, they're in love. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... He's, he's her um, Ava Braun. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, so, so Kuvira's on this, you know, mission to unite, quote unquote, the whole Earth Kingdom under her rule versus under the Earth King's rule, which, you know, it's debatable whether who, who would be better, but, you know, Kuvira's definitely being a fascist about it. So there's that. Um, Well, we, I mean, are, are you uncomfortable with me just spoiling the ending of the season? I I mean I remember that Kuvira goes down, but I don't remember why right. or how. And I kind of want to experience it fresh again. I know there's giant robots. Right. I'm at not going to say how it happens. I'm just going to say that the political ending of the show yeah. is that Prince Wu just gives up the throne voluntarily and says, "Hey, why not a democracy?" <laughs> but we so... should wait for these benevolent. Like, ruling class overlords to decide that it's time to give up the throne before, you know, we should do anything right. And of course it. they will, because as we all know, that's something that happens in real life. Ever. Yeah. You know, we still have royals in the UK, right? <laughs> well, hey, David, uh, Harry and Meghan just peaced out, so uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't mean the end of the I know, it just I know. that they peaced out. um anyway hashtag not all royals david so yeah we're we're on the fascist train going around reuniting people Wu is going to be hit by pie because there's dangerous pie throwers in the in the crowd yeah mako because they don't like 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 bride carries him into the carriage so he doesn't get hit with pie um you know, I don't hate their dynamic. Like, I don't find Wu a particularly entertaining character. But, like, I I can appreciate Mako's straight man to his, like, 
bombasticness, if nothing else. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, I don't hate it. Uh, I just think that the best thing for the show is Mako and Bolin are good foils. Yes. And this this season is trying to do what they did in season two and give everyone <laughs> unique roles that put them into a tough situation where they have to make a choice. But what all we really want is to just have them all together and all making choices together and their ideologies bouncing off of each other. That's right. what we want. Yeah, that's what the it's gang was. That's what they was. want to give us. Exactly. Um, so um, yeah. we've got another dynamic duo that we're introduced to, which is Kai and Opal. They're airbenders now, and all the airbenders have um, like these fun new like lemur suits where they can they don't need a glider to fly; they just have like these fun suit things. Yeah, but to... it seems just as impractical as having a glider because like one slight tear in it, and you're instantly like falling to your death. I mean, yeah, they should all have, like, instant repair kits on them at all times, but alas, yeah, or, they do not. Know, parachute, you know? But I mean, the same parachute. thing with, the. I mean, parachutes are susceptible to the same shit. You get a tear, it's not great. Right, but you don't have, you don't, you don't let your parachute fly until you're out of danger. That's the whole point of a parachute. All right, all right. It's sealed in a chute so that you don't, <laughs> anyway, um... The, so they're paired up. I think it's interesting that Kai is not paired up with Janora. I'd imagine Tenzin probably didn't want that. Right. They, the two of them, I I think, are fine as, like, a, a pair. But the writers just forced the most awkward exposition, like, relationship conversation between the two of them. Where, like, Kai's like, so how how's your dating life with Bolin going? And she's like, I don't know. I think we're growing apart. <laughs> and she's like, what about you and Janora? And he's, he's like, it's great, actually. And then, like, bandits attack. You know, like, it's it's yep. just so boring and awkward. And, like, this is not how humans interact with each other. Um, right. So I'm interested in yeah. these bandits. We don't, yeah. we don't learn much about these bandits. Yeah. What, they, what is their, you know, main agenda? Because they're just stealing, like, food, you know? Is there really, like, a black black market for food? Are they stealing the food and then selling it back to the people that they're stealing it from? Right. Or are they li- is there literally just not enough food in the world to feed them? Or that so they have access to. they're just stealing what they to. need to survive. Right. What is their deal? And also, why, like, why does killing the Earth Queen make it so there's no police anywhere in the entire country? <laughs> Right. Like, I, I have no idea. Especially because we've seen historically, at least, like... Ba Sing Se kind of did whatever it was doing and didn't really have that much control over the rest of the country. Like it right, had Well, it's tight... possible that that changed over time and the That's need true. for military engagement throughout their kingdom became more important over time. But, uh, but like, what? why would killing the Earth Queen stop there from being a military? Why would killing the Earth Queen stop there from being a Dai Li? Why would it stop there from being a police? We raised this question last episode, but now it's really significant. Yeah. Why do we need Kuvira and her army to go in and just get rid of these bandits? Why can't anyone do it? Right. Um, well, we find out that the Kai and Opal fail at it. And so the the town or the province or what have you that uh, they're trying to help, which is called Yai, I believe. Um, yep. They end up having to bend the knee to Kuvira reluctantly. 
Um, right. But like, okay, so two airbenders can't stop them. Why not two airbenders and a cop? Why not two right. airbenders and an army? You know, it's like, <sighs> why not five airbenders? Like, are we really spread this thin in terms of crime in the Earth Kingdom? I that guess it's literally I mean, starving the people to death. I, that's the reality we're being asked to accept. You know. Okay, I accept it. Let's move on. <laughs> um, I, I, so, so why like, is Bolin so attracted to fascism? Because uh, it gives him a purpose and it makes him feel like he's helping people when he hands out supplies. That's why. He's also easily tricked and likes Varric. The end. He's he's Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a child with a child's <laughs> brain. Yep, that is definitely Bolin. Um, he like, you know, it's like people who join the military and are like, yo, the military changed my life. It gave me a schedule and like taught me responsibility. I build orphanages for all the children of people that other people killed. Right. And it's just like, okay, yeah, but you can get responsibility and like a schedule from so many other things. Like this should not have to be like the, the place that you, you get that from. Um, yep. But yeah, so, so that's Bolin. Um, Cora has been absent from this entire episode, but she's supposed to be returning to Republic City at the end of it. And then her dad shows up and he's like, can't I wait to see- I thought she was with you. I thought she was with you. What do we do? Womp womp. <laughs> um, turns out that she joined a fight club and cut her hair. That's what happened to Cora. Um. Yeah. But then we actually find out what happened to Korra in the second episode called Korra Alone, which is not So as obviously good. a reference to Zuko Alone. Yeah. Um, but whereas Zuko Alone was all about showing the backstory of Zuko and then telling an original story in the present, this is really just about filling in the gaps. Yeah. It's exposition. Yeah, it's all flashback exposition, like Korra's point of view of the last three years and sort of... Um, it, her path to recovery or, you know, the path to recovery that she's still currently on. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I and like mixed feelings about this episode from a, you know, from, from a disability portrayal standpoint. I mean, I'm not an expert on that kind of representation, right. so I don't know exactly what we're looking for, but certainly there are experiences of disability that involve, going to physical therapy, trying to, you know, going through recovery, dealing with PTSD at the same time that you're mm-hmm. dealing with a physical recovery. So there's and something to dealing with to those Korra's... frustrations. Exactly. And, and so Cora's arc to go through with that and the fact that it does take several episodes for her to get back up to even part of her, you know, uh, her full strength from, from previous seasons. And she never really is quite the same as she was in previous seasons. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's a good choice and it's a bold choice and I like that they take time with her recovery. Um, you know, I I like that I I like a lot of the flashback scenes with Katara where, you know, Katara sort of talks about the mental aspect of overcoming um, you know, her injuries and how, you know, it is going to be tough to work through things. The one line that I really cannot stand and think is, like, a travesty. Um, like, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode with her being in a wheelchair. Shouldn't really make her that disabled. You know, she's still pretty abled. And a common thing that I hear from 
um, a lot of disabled friends and other people in the disabled community is that wheelchairs are only a, like a symbol of um, disability to like abled, abled people. people, right? But like for for people who are disabled, they are an enabling tool. You know, like they allow them to do so many things. And so when Cora in the episode just goes, I can't dress myself or cook myself. And I'm like, dude, you're in like a freaking wheelchair. You still can use your arms. You can still like bend, presumably. Like, there's... I mean, it's it's possible that she wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, I, we don't necessarily see her wheeling around in her wheelchair as much. Right. So I don't know if she does have full use of her arms. I mean, they were certainly affected by the poison as well. But I would say, I think we like, have to accept it on face value that she can't dress herself. But I don't know. Tough. Like I, I think that's. I think that is the writers not knowing how disability works and wanting to yeah. signal that she is. Like, like obviously quote unquote, it should be common now. sense though and that's why i kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt it seems like common sense though that if you can wheel around a wheelchair you have enough strength in your arms to like lift a pair of pants right exactly and you know we see her using her arms to support herself on the bars when she's trying to learn to walk again like that takes effort and strength like it, it's just it's ridiculous basically and yeah. i think it speaks to uh a lack of insight into into what they're actually trying to represent and really just makes it clear that they're just using this disability as a shorthand for she's broken now and she needs to fix herself. Right. And, you know, like and that's And the odd thing to me great. is that the first thing we see about her is that she can still bend. She can mm-hmm. still leap out of the way of moving cars, you know? She right. Can, she has... She's physically abled in a way that I am not. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> um, and, like, because of her, you know, airbending and stuff, we later see that she can, like, fly herself up into trees and do all kinds of... So if her combat is still not up to the level that it was before, it should be treated that way as a, as a deficiency in her combat. Right. But, um, you know, sort of like a sports injury, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're still fully abled, but... You can't You're play football anymore. Up to the speed that you were, and then so you need to go see your coach, and you know get a you know get a, a pep talk and whatever, and then you got to take some time to go to physical therapy and recover. But like she is more able than any human being on earth. Right. She can fly. She can lift rocks. She can do all of these. She things. can bend four elements. <laughs> Literally, no right. one else you know, can earth, on earth can do that. So it's a very confusing sort of depiction of disability in that sense. I mean, when we did it with Toph, yes, she was more abled than your average blind person. She could see more than a blind person can, but uh, that's the you know that's the point, right? Is that she doesn't see herself as disabled? Right. Exactly. And like, and that's what the whole thing with um, God. I'm trying to remember the name of the the guy Tia. in the. Teo. What is it? It's it's Teo or Teo. Teo, Teo. Yeah. Uh, that's the whole thing with Teo in the Northern Hair Temple is that he's like, yeah, my dad wanted like everyone to have the same opportunities up here in the air, so he built me a freaking wheelchair glider. You know, like Avatar has dealt right. with like a difference in quote unquote natural ability before and has like 
shown that this is a world that allows people to compensate for those differences and, like, level the playing field in a way that, you know, sometimes we can't even do here on real Earth. <laughs> right. And it's a world of wish fulfillment. And the same goes for, you know, racism or xenophobia totally. or, or, or sexism. While, while it still exists in the world, there's still, you know, genuine... Uh, stigma against disability and difference um, and, and otherness. Mm-hmm. The, a lot of those things are easier to overcome in this world, specifically because of, its, of the wish fulfillment aspect of of, of power and empowerment. Right. Um, but I mean, this show is going for a different angle. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's going no, but for, it just feels you know, so. This is this is the struggles that people go through. You know, but it feels um, discongruous with what came before and it doesn't feel like they're really using it to actually explore any of those struggles. They just feels like they're using it as like, Cora's got to recover, man. She's broken now. Hashtag sad. Right. You know, like, it, you know, the first it's shot is to me that every she's got step a- of the recovery that we see is portrayed as as mostly mental. So it, it's sort of you know, implies that like her disability is in her mind in some sense. Right. And that, you know, she's just got to have enough recovery is being able to move her big toe. And then what's, you know, the second step. Right. Like, you know, she's got to learn taking a step, learn to walk, you know, learn to bend again, all of this. Um, But like, you know, the first shot is she's got a black eye and a cracked mirror like, if that's not saying, like, this is a damaged person, like, who's right. going through shit, I don't know, like, what is. Anyway, all of her friends write to her, but the only person she writes back to is Asami, and so that's how you know that they're going to be gay. That's when I knew they were going to be gay, for sure. I was like, oh, that feels romancy. I still wasn't sure at this point. I mean, that's maybe when I was I knew. just in denial. But, I mean, it seems totally legitimate that you would want to mail back and forth with Asami. Yes. Who is not really a judgmental weirdo (laughs) rather than Mako. Right. And that Bolin, who is uber empathetic and constantly trying to help people even when he can't. Right. But also also not the best person to tell about, uh, about, you know, your, your PTSD and your struggles with uh, your mental health. Right, because he is also sort of only has the emotional capacity of a child, you know, like overly empathetic, but like not actually able to right. really so, connect. Right. So what I'm saying is that it's, it seems reasonable to me that even if you weren't romantically sure. attracted to Asami, she would still be the person you'd want to talk to about it. Sure. I, um, I can definitely see it from that way, but I, I will say like... When when I was first watching this, when it first aired, this was the moment where I went, "Oh, that feels like romancy." Okay, what are what are we doing here? And like that's what had my sensors on alert. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. So basically, Cora's been at the Spike Club. She leaves and sees like an evil slash haunted version of herself in the Avatar state with the chains, and it like attacks her, and she a puppy spirit thing (laughs) like scares it away and then leads her to the swamp. And then she has a swamp hallucination fight with the evil self again. And then she's found by Toph. Um, and that's where we leave the episode. That's basically it. I mean, there's a few things in between there. For example, when she leaves the, the Southern water tribe, she says that she's going to Republic city, but when she goes there, she sees the spirit of her dark avatar state 
chained up self. Yeah. And, you know, basically a, a physicalization of her past trauma. Mm-hmm. And that's what drives her away. Right. And so it's just it's a weird situation because you don't know if it is some kind of spirit guide or if it's just in her head. But if it's in her head, why would it be leading her directly to to Toph? You know? Well, I mean, the the evil spirit didn't lead her to Toph. It, it was the, like, little No, it, it kind of did, because it led her literally to a town on the border of the spirit swamp. You know, it drove her away from the, the mm. from a public city and then drove her away from, you know, a ton of other places. I guess. Like, it seemed to have some kind of specific thing that it wanted her to do. Yeah. I don't know. It led well, her into the battle ring, you know? Like, why would Korra want to go into the battle ring? That's true. Um, well, we'll have to see what this evil slash trauma manifestation version of her will do in the future, because I certainly don't remember, and that's all we get for, for these first two episodes. Um, yeah. so let's talk about the Painted Lady. I like the Painted Lady. I, I like think it's it a too. Good, it's a good Katara episode, I think. You know, we need good Katara episodes because we haven't had a lot of them for a while. Yeah, for sure. We we spent a lot of the last season, you know, focusing on Toph and Aang and, you know, towards the end. Right, mostly. but we also had a lot of group stuff. You know, right. we had the desert and we had this and that. But we didn't get an episode just dedicated to developing one of our characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, you know... That's that's what season three is all about, you know. Is giving and the I'm characters forward. room to grow before the final confrontation. Yeah. So we've got one Katara in this episode and one Sokka. Um, <laughs> and you know, Katara is going to get like what? What do you mean by one Katara and one Sokka? Well, we've got the Painted Lady and we've got Sokka's Master. Oh yes, yes. Episodes. Sorry, I just didn't follow what you meant. I'll, I'll say it again more clearly. Okay. In this podcast, we've got two episodes, <laughs> one for Katara and one for Sokka. So, you know, that's good to develop develop our, our, our sibling pair. Yeah, um, absolutely. So. And, and I think we get some nice sibling moments between the two of them in these two episodes as well. Yeah, I think I think so, too. Um, in uh, In the Painted Lady, it's I guess it's kind of like a superhero kind of thing, like... Well, to me, it, it is feels... Is that, like, the, the, the mode that we're operating in? I, I guess it's kind of superhero vigilante justice a little bit, but to me, it feels like a very natural progression for Katara's character from season one episodes, uh, like, where she goes to the, like, Earthbender prison to free Haru and all the other Earthbenders, and... Right, but she's not doing it in a disguise as a superhero. Right, right. You know? This time That's she's... the difference, is because she's dressing up as the spirit yeah. of the painted lady, uh, the the sort of... Patron saint uh, of the town. Patron spirit. Yeah. It's almost like she's Batman, you know? She, <laughs> yeah. She embodies something idealized about the, the place itself in order to, to help the people um, right. without being recognized as a waterbender. Right, right. Um, so basically they, they wander into this town and it's on this very polluted river and everyone is sick and hurting and starving. Right, but like what's it polluted with exactly? I guess maybe it's supposed to be know. like coal runoff. Yeah. I guess that would make the most sense. 
because it's like it's some it's somehow earth or just like sludge. Is able to bend it yeah but sludge of what it has to be some kind of earth sludge because it's bendable yeah i don't know i i clay just like too much sediment and can clay, clay i don't know does, does clay sediment poison fish and kill them i mean having I the know. wrong ph balance in a river for the local like fauna seems bad you know. And why would clay be coming off of a factory? I don't know. It's. Uh, I think it's got to be coal runoff. That's sure. the only thing that makes any sense to me. Sure. And for um, my personal headcanon, that's what it is. <laughs> sure. It's not particularly important. The point is, there's runoff from a Fire Nation factory that's poisoning this river. Um, so, you know, Katara comes in the night and helps the town and then, you know, sort of pretends to make Appa sick so that they can go back and sort of check on the town and turns out everyone's doing pretty great, but you know, they're still sick and don't have a lot of medicine for all their sick people. So then, you know, Katara does it again and she goes back. Uh, and then the next day there's so many great people and everyone's healthy. And Sokka's like, if this lady really wanted to help, she'd blow up the factory. That's, that's the root of all these problems. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting because Sokka is the pragmatist and uh, and Katara is the, you know, the emotive, sympathetic heart. one, the bleeding heart. And so it creates, I mean, even though they're both on the same side of a political war, there's, there's you know, inter-party dispute. You know, I love looking at it through a political lens. Yeah. You know, uh, Sokka is the revolutionary. He thinks, well, we, we can solve everyone's problems if we just kill the leader. Um, <laughs> and then... And then Katara is more on the solidarity side where right. we each have to support all the small problems in order to get other people to join in with a mass revolutionary effort. Right, you know, right. No one's and going to be willing to switch from the bad leader to the good leader uh, unless everyone is sympathetic to your cause. And the only way to do that is by building solidarity. Right. It's it's the winning of hearts and minds, which is sort of what we saw in the last episode, too, with the headband right. where the whole point was listen, you can have fun, you know? Like, if you get yeah. rid of that Fire Lord guy, you can have dance parties all the time, man. Wouldn't you love that? Like, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. It's, it's that sort of thing. Um, so Sokka, he's got this schedule, right? Yeah. And that, that makes up the majority of the jokes for this episode is that, you know, he's trying to cut down on wasting time. You know, staying in this village is wasting time. Going to the bathroom is wasting time. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of funny. It's fine. I definitely don't hate it. I always find it a little bit annoying, though, that it's only for this episode that the schedule is, like, a big deal. And then none of the other episodes is it, like, barely ever mentioned again. I think it's mentioned, like, maybe once more before, like, the invasion happens. Um, yeah, like, maybe this episode should have been moved closer to the end of the, the mid-season. Right. And then it would make more sense that, like... Now he's like, oh, we got hey, a deadline. You know, we've already wasted so much time on Sokka's master <laughs> and on the, the blind bandit and... Yeah, all or, the other stuff. What it's called, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, gambling. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but yeah, so, so he's, he's very schedule oriented and is basically like, listen, we can't stick around to help these people. Uh, well, first of all, Aang finds out it's Katara, who's the painted yeah. lady. Um, and then they go and, blow up the factory together. Yeah. And it's a cute date night. And then they come back and Sokka's like, where the fuck were you guys? 
And Katara's like, surprise, I'm the Painted Lady. Um, and basically, you know, has her Katara moment where she's like, I'll never leave anyone behind. And Sokka's like, fine, I'll stick with you because I can never leave you behind. And it's like a very nice yeah, sibling moment. Like, it's an interesting little contrast between uh, Avatar and Korra is that, um, you know, Katara is like, I will never, ever turn my back on people who need me. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, we have Opal saying almost the same thing. Um, you can't turn your back on these people saying that to Bolin for letting them get attacked by bandits until they join up with Kuvira. Right. Um, it's an interesting little parallel. I just like those little things when we're watching the show simultaneously. And they connect in that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Sokka's whole thing is do nothing, uh, (laughs) because... That's, you know, nothing that you can do will save them. But uh, as it turns out, he's wrong. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, the soldiers from the blown up factory come to take revenge on the town. And so they have a really fun sequence where, you know, Aang helps Katara seem like a real spirit and they do some yeah, fun bending Yeah, Sokka tricks. plays a spooky flute. Sokka does play a spooky flute. <laughs> um, does Toph That's do anything how he helps. during it? Toph is uh, smashing rocks on the ground to make it sound like big, heavy footsteps from a monster. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So so they freak out all the guards. They toss them into the river and they say, scram and don't come back. Um, But then it's revealed to the villagers that, oh, shit, it's just a lady who's a waterbender, not actually their painted lady. But, you know, they convince them to clean up the river anyway which they do, and then they peace out, and while they're doing that, the real painted lady comes and, like, thanks Katara, and it's, it's yeah, nice. Yeah, that seems like such a familiar plot point. It feels so mythic. Like, it feels like it's oh, yeah. happened before, like, but I can't place exactly where, you know, somewhere I in I mean, my it's a little hey ish you know, um, like Aang's spirit world journey in the sure the sure but i mean barter. specifically the idea of like pre- pretending to be like a god or a spirit and then mm. at, when you once you succeeded then being thanked by that god or spirit and That's then it becomes true. sort of like a god helps those who helps themselves kind of thing mm. uh i don't know it's don't know. it feels very mythic and familiar and i, th- I think that's a sign of good storytelling when you can't yeah, tell sure. exactly where it's from but it feels familiar right um, another thing that feels familiar is there's a character in the fishing town whose name is Doc, Shu, <laughs> or Bushi, because it's one guy just switching hats and saying that he's all the different people in the town, which is a joke from uh, I Love Lucy, where they go to a a literal, like, one-horse town, and it's just one <laughs> it's person one who's the mayor and the diner owner and, the, right. you know, everything. Yeah. It's, it's cute. It's funny, you know, especially as a yeah. kid. I just wanted to point out that, you know, where it comes from. It's a nice little reference. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Pretty soon they're going to start getting in a chocolate factory and throwing <laughs> all the chocolates on the ceiling. God, I would I would honestly love that in a Korra episode. I'd, I'd pay money. <laughs> um, but for now, we, we have Sokka's Master, another fun little episode um, mm-hmm. that starts with a, a meteor shower and one um, hits hits the ground near the gang. And so there's also a town nearby, of course. And so they have to put out the fire from the meteor before it can destroy everyone's crops and houses and such. And basically everyone gets to do something except Sokka. And so Sokka's feeling 
really down on himself, that he's not particularly useful in the same way that all the other benders are. And so they basically get the idea that, hey, Sokka, you need a master. Well, first they go shopping, because Sokka loves to shop. Right. Sokka be he shopping. Shop. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, he tries out all these different weapons. He sees a cool sword, and the, the shop owner's like, oh... That's that's this this really good swordsman guy that you you should see. He lives outside of town. So Sokka's like, all right. And he shows up, and unlike all the other people who come asking this guy for help, he's humble. And so the, the swordmaster is like, all right, I'll train you. I'm into this. You know, we get some very karate kid sort of sequences where... We do a lot of activities that don't necessarily seem directly related to swordsmanship. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Wax on, wax off. Am I right? Yeah. Um, and, you yeah, know. He's painting a, a <laughs> landscape, by which allows you to capture the landscape in your mind. You know, you can sign your name, which is like the strokes of the pen are like the strokes of the sword. Right. Calligraphy. And then, rock gardening. And then. Use the terrain gardening. to your advantage. Yeah, and I think this really highlights, you know, some of the key characteristics of Sokka. Number one, he's humble. When yes. he's asked, why do you deserve to be trained? He says, well, I don't know if I deserve to be trained. But I'd like you know, to be. It's sort of a callback to Kiyoshi Warriors, right? Yeah, where he humbles himself before he's able to, you know, train with them. And he realizes his shortcomings. And, like, that's very much Sokka's right. character. Right, and he's also creative, but not in like an artsy fartsy kind of way. <laughs> He's sort of a, you know, one of those practical sort of thinkers. Abstract thinker. Everything is about, everything's about, uh, you know, making things make sense to him logically. Right. Or, so but, when he's doing rock gardening, he's not going to like make a really aesthetically beautiful rock garden. He's going to make an ugly ass rock garden that has a nice chair for him to sit in. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he's a, uh, like he's a creative thinker in that he 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 looks for the non-obvious solution. You know, like he isn't gonna just look at the directions and then follow the directions the way the teacher intended. He's gonna interpret them through his Saka brain first, um, and probably come right. up with with something interesting. Um, uh, what's the other adjective they give for him? Intelligent. I think we should sure. have covered that. Who cares? Yeah. I don't care what their adjectives are. I gave sure. my own adjectives. Yeah, you did. <laughs> well done. Um, um, meanwhile, like the rest of the gang is dealing with just sort of, you know, understanding Sokka's role in the group, which, I mean, they seem to understand it from the beginning, you know, that he's a good yeah. strategist, that he he's good at keeping a schedule. But, you know, we still have to see visually what it would be like if Sokka was not part of the team, which is they just <laughs> lie around and tell picking bad their jokes. toes, telling bad jokes. <laughs> it's so hot that Appa is shedding like Momo, or the other, other way, way around. around. Momo yeah. is shedding like Appa. I I Blech. do love, <laughs> I do love how excited Katara gets about trying to tell this joke, though, and how yeah. everyone is just like, no. <laughs> it's interesting though, because while we do recognize that Sokka is the is the comic relief uh-huh. at least in season one he was always like the the, the, the goofy one but yeah he was always the butt of the joke and katara always had the witty one-liners right so i don't think it's true that katara is a bad joke teller i think she's just being put on the spot and she, right she's crumbling under the pressure yeah yeah we've all been there 
Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, so basically, uh, the the final test for Sokka is he's got to create his own sword, and he, he gets the cool idea to use the meteorite uh, earth metal stuff to, to make the sword out of. So they get some, and then Toph does the Nickelodeon splat. Oh, well, I guess that's at the end. You're so angry about that. I hate well, it. Explain to me why that's bad. Just like why? Why is it there? Why? It's so it's dumb. It's just a splat. In her in her world, it's just a splat. Right, and for but us, it's we an know. Egg. Why is that bad? Oh, because it's like so world breaking. You know, like it doesn't break the world. Why wouldn't she make it, a splat? It breaks my because sure she can make a splat, but to make the Nickelodeon splat, it just like shatters the fiction of everything for it's me. Just it's just a like splat shape. It's, it's like it's like you draws- saying, how dare she make the logo for Star, and then it's just the shape of a star like just because we've turned that what? into a logo no no no. but the nickelodeon splat is a specific <laughs> like splat you know it's not just a star it's not a tree like it's a specific like it has a specific look and it's fine it's whatever <laughs> i i'm mad about this and it doesn't matter you so much it's just i hate it it's so dumb and it's it's like pointing like this show's on nickelodeon it's like wow great i don't fucking care why is this happening <sighs> anyway he makes a great sword out of the meteorite metal and then when during like the final ceremony the the sword master uh is like saka you're great here's your sword and saka's like yeah but I lied to you, and I'm from the Water Tribe, and everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing, Sokka? Uh, and then they fight about it, but really it's just a final, like, sword test, and Sokka does a great job, and, like, the teacher is praising him as he sort of runs around, uh, like, doing his best to defend against this sword master. Um, I want to point out that the specific name of this sword is a Jian sword. That's the style of it. And it's a, it's a typically a Chinese uh, sword um, of the, of the, you know, soldier type, you know, a typical soldier might have a Jian sword. Mm. Um, But uh, yeah, because I guess it'd just be weird if you had like a katana, even though, you know, uh, the Fire Nation is is based on Japan. Yeah. I mean, a katana is, you know, very specific, and a jian is more general and kind of practical. Right. Um, um, yeah. yeah. So then, you know, he he's basically, after a very cool fight sequence, uh, he disarms Sokka and is like, I wasn't going to kill you. I was just testing you. You're, you're fine. I know that kid's the avatar. I've been around the block. Um, and yeah. then as a parting gift. And he gives gift, him a pie show tile. Yeah. And it's the White Lotus. And there was a White Lotus Blah. on the gates the whole time. Whoa. Yeah. So for them, I don't know if they ever really figure out why that's significant. But uh, I don't know we if know they... why it's significant. I mean, I they definitely know why in the last episode. <laughs> like, I don't even know if they explain it though. Really, like they no just say, ex- "Hey, all old people know each other." Yeah, they don't really explain it, but they they definitely the gang finds out, so to speak. Right. Um, and yeah, so right. so that's that's where we are. A weird yeah. place in Korra. A lot of fun character focused episodes in Avatar. I'm looking forward to to finishing strong with Avatar and trying desperately to remember anything that happens in Korra at this point. Yeah, it's gonna get weird. 
Um, I'm so ready for it. I just want yeah. the. I just can't wait for the giant robot because I know that happens. Yeah. Spoilers. Do the words giant robot mean anything to you? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please uh, rate us on whatever app you're listening on. Leave us a comment um, or tweet at us at Talking Tropes. Uh, well, we'll talk to you guys later. See ya.